everybody, Blake here. You are listening to Undismissed. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. Today I have Megan Hansen joining me to talk about the dark side of the pharmaceutical industry and doctors. Now let's get into it. So why don't you start off by uh, telling me your personal experience in the uh, medical industry? Okay, sure. So my medical experience um, sort of started like around sixth grade. And this was the time that I started questioning doctors and just the whole medical system and the way that we operate. I had broken my arm about three or four times and it just kept happening. And um, I went to an orthopedic doctor and they were the kind of doctor where this was their specialty, you know, like bones and and the growth of bones, and we realized I had a problem with my growth plate, and um, the only solution to them was to take bone marrow from my hip and mix it with a cadaver's bone marrow and then inject it into my arm, and this is like a rather large needle and, you know, kind of a, not a serious surgery, but it's, it's invasive, and it goes straight through your bone, and there's a lot of problems with that like to this day I can't lift my my left arm up like at all and um, I did do physical therapy and I did everything that they told me to do and they would they kind of said well you're gonna have you're gonna have a good recovery and so that was when I started to sort of doubt the whole medical system and um, I remember the doctor after surgery he they did an x-ray and the the fracture was gone. It had healed so quickly. And he called me a, a miracle a miracle case after just calling me a medical anomaly because usually this sort of thing doesn't happen to someone so young and it's just it's just a very rare sort of happening. And so that was my first glimpse at at how things were maybe a little bit warped. And then later that year, my sister, she started having really itchy skin, and she was in high school at the time, she was a freshman, and her classmates were actually complaining and that they could hear her itching her skin, and she itched her skin so hard that like sometimes it would bleed, and she was really tired. This went on for not nine months, and she had all these other symptoms, and we went to two dozen doctors trying to figure this out. And it was a naturopath. This was our first time kind of using anyone of in naturopathy besides, you know, the medical world. And within five minutes, he said, I think you have lymphoma. And um, that was just unbelievable that so many doctors and so many specialties could just completely miss out on, you know, cancer. And that's not what you think goes on either you think I see this doctor he's gonna take my blood and he's gonna make sure everything's okay and that was not what happened at all you know she could have lost her life in those nine months and and if she had my doctors my 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 parents they talked about suing the doctors and the only reason we didn't was we needed to afford treatment but that was really messed up and after that you know the solution to cancer is is still so so skewed and and so messed up because it's like oh let's let's literally poison you like chemotherapy is is literal poison let's kill off all the cells in your body to where you're so weak a cold could kill you 
and then you're cured. And it's not, it's not a lasting cure. It's a temporary cure. So yeah, then that happened. And as a family, we started questioning medical doctors and we started seeing the naturopath who actually diagnosed her full time and for our issues. And we saw a lot more of like a response and naturopaths, internists, some PCPs are able to look at the whole body. And I think that that is the true solution to medical problems is to involve the whole body instead of going into a specialty and saying, you know, I think this is going on and not thinking about the rest of the body. So especially when you have a systematic issue, which is what my disease was after we figured out what was truly going on. When you have a systematic issue, which truly every issue is a systematic issue, you know, one thing affects another, affects another. It's this sort of ripple effect that happens in the body, you know, so there's no way you can sit in a box and say, this is what's going on in in this organ and not talk about the rest of the body. So I think that That's what I realized very early on in life was this kind of system where blinders were basically being used of, you know, we're not going to think about the rest of the body. We're just going to think about what's in front of us. Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely a problem with not understanding the interconnectivity with the body and and how one thing can be affecting another. That's that's something I've personally noticed, too. I've had, I've had stretch fractures before. I've had them on and off. It's, it's inhibited my ability to play certain sports, do certain activities. And it was, a, it was a really intimate connection between how certain things in my spine, how certain things in my really, really deep core and the weakness there could be affecting my shins and the bottom of my feet. And things you did, that you just wouldn't think are connected are, are very much connected. And it's it's so important that before doctors make a snap judgment that they analyze other parts of your body that could be potentially affecting the problem and looking at potential solutions. Uh, now, with with the medical problems that you have had, how have doctors felt about prescribing you medication and what types of medication have they prescribed you? So it took me three years to get a diagnosis of being in pain, having a lot of neurological difficulties, um, having orthopedic difficulties, um, all sorts of joint problems and and very undiagnosable organ problems. I was prescribed a bunch of things. For the pain, it was it was morphine, oxy, Percocet, um, just on and on again for for four years. And um, I actually did this did this program at Seattle Children's Hospital Hospital and. Um, they prescribed me the most opioids that I think I I had ever been on. So I had a hospitalization there, and then they basically just admitted me to the program that I was in all day, and then I I went home and, and slept in my bed and then came back the next morning. But, yeah, I think that a lot of programs like that are designed to just hold you off. And what they told us in the beginning was, you know, you'll... You'll be diagnosed and you'll you'll find out what's what's happening. But in reality, what happened was they gave me a, a pain psychiatrist or psychologist. Uh, I can't remember which it was. And um, they gave me a bunch of opioids. And so that was the solution to the problem of of this pain that, you know, I was 17 years old having bone pain and that's not 
that's not normal. That's not refutable, you know. But they kind of said, well, you know, we can't figure it out. And so what we're going to do is is just max you out on morphine and um, narcotics. It's a huge problem. They just prescribe it without thought to the type of person they're prescribing it to, uh, the type of situation that they're in, uh, whether or not it is a drug that could be really, really, really bad for you specifically. Why do you think that they do that? Why do you think that they're so quick to just practically hand out these these opioids, these extremely, extremely addictive substances? I think there's a lot of reasons. So for one, I think the pharmaceutical industry has sort of sold themselves to doctors saying, this is a beautiful drug. This is a beautiful fix to, to this problem that a lot of people have. Um, and that's especially the case for opioids, I believe. And um, it's sort of a way to short circuit pain and um, all of these bad processes that are happening in the body. And so it's kind of like just plugging something in and saying, you know, for now the problem is solved and you don't have to deal with it. I think that's very attractive to doctors. But secondly, I think doctors want, ultimately they should want an answer. They should want a solution, but that's not all the case all the time. I think that that's their job is, is to kind of fix and mend things. But if you kind of use the metaphor of, of you're on this boat and, and your body's the boat and there's all these holes and you're slowly sinking, then it's like, oh, just just patch, just just slap some duct tape on there and and you'll be fine. And in that case, that's that's opioids. And it's just shove this in your body and your body will know what to do from there. And I think they actually do believe, I think a lot of doctors actually do believe, especially pain psychologists, that drugs are the answer to a problem that is so dire in the body. You know, if you're, if you're me and you're, you know, at that time I, I was 16 years old and I'm having just unbearable bone pain to the point where I, when they bring me to the ER, the first thing they do is pump me with morphine. That's a problem. And, and that's not something that can be fixed by drugs. Yeah. It's like, they're trying to prescribe a temporary solution to a long-term problem, to a permanent problem that until it gets fixed. And in, in the long term, too, these, these drugs are, are known to be uh, detrimental, not beneficial. They're, they're beneficial in the short run, not the long run. They are, they're being severely misused for, for the, uh, the, the, the purposes that, are, um, that they're, they're intended for. I mean, t- take fentanyl, the huge problem that we have with fentanyl. There was only one specific niche of people that was ever supposed to have their hands on that on that, on that drug that is 100 times stronger than morphine that could kill an elephant with just specks of it specks of it that you could see on a penny um the only group that was supposed to be allowed to have that drug was was late stage cancer patients because they they are not long for this world and they are in a lot of pain and so it, it makes sense for them to, to have access to something like that to ease their pain for their last few days weeks months on earth but it the pharmaceutical companies really just uh they 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 pushed it out like crazy they they made they made it into lollipops one of the forms that you could take it was a literal lollipop 
And if you if you go look for fentanyl commercials, you will you will find that commercial of literal lollipop, which is just it's so so crazy to me because I mean the, the pharmaceutical companies are are well aware of 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 the the capabilities of these drugs, and they're still so quick to to prescribe these to people that that don't need it and shouldn't have it. Um, and they're creating the problem, and they're also they're creating the solution too with naloxone, mm. that, that life saving drug. Um, that that can help when you overdose, which is super easy with these with these with these opioids. It's so easy to overdose, and uh, it, it can happen so quickly because your your tolerance builds up really quickly. And the next thing you know, you're, you're overdosed, and, and naloxone is kind of that can bring you back to life. But they're also the ones that, that created the problem and created the solution. So um, I don't I don't really know how great it is that they've come out with naloxone given that there'd no, be no need for it if they hadn't created the problem in the first place but which opioid have you had the most experience with have, have doctors prescribed to you the most definitely oxy um and that's because of how many surgeries i've had i've had um i think 11 surgeries procedures and oxy is the number one thing for surgery especially those really painful ones and um, I would say Percocet is, is the next under that, but also morphine. I say morphine and oxy are the ones I have most experience with. It's, it's scary, you know, it's scary having, being in so much pain that you can't move or you can't walk or, you, you know, you can't stand. And then being given this drug where you're laughing and you're walking around and you're running and like, you're active and you're like, wow, this is great, but also this is fucking terrifying. Like, how can a drug do this? And and should I be given this drug? I think it's really great that you were able to to realize that early on because I think there's a lot of people that get prescribed this and ask no questions because there's definitely a stigma around doctors that they, they kind of have all the answers, you know? We, 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 we view them as like a human Wikipedia almost. We think you know what my problem is and you know how to solve it and you're going to fix me. And and we think if a doctor says to us, you don't have a problem, like take my sister or me, for example, then you believe it because, you know, they're God. They're, they're ultimately much bigger than you. And that's just so false. You know, we need to start bringing them down to to just humans because they make mistakes too. And, and you know, they're, they're, they're told what to do and, and it's not a lot really. I know you just you just touched on this just now, but I I'd love to get an in depth uh, description of of how these drugs, specifically oxy two, can be so so addictive. Because I think for a lot of people, they see them as just really really extreme painkillers, and they and they question like, well, well, why is this so addictive? What is what is the thing that hooks people? And so I would love I would love to hear your your explanation of it. Being on Oxy is like being God. It's like being given steroids or something of, of the like that just the power in your body increases substantially um, to where you don't even feel human. You're like, wow, I could, I could like run on top of a mountain right now. You know, I, I could do something ridiculous like that. That's how much stamina and power I have right now and that's a that's a very hard feeling to describe and I think um take 
any other opioid or, or morphine, morphine will put you to sleep. You know, it's, it's the opposite effect. With Oxy, you can function in your daily life. You can, um, you can go to school, you can go to work, you can, you can do anything. You have energy outwardly, you don't, you don't look sick, you don't seem sick. And I think that's very dangerous. I think it's, it's the equivalent of heroin in, it's been showed in some studies, the amount of strength that it has. And um, it can just knock everything else out in your body. And, you know, the oxy is all that matters. And that's the scariest feeling to have, to just know that you're completely relying on this one substance. And without it, you wouldn't be able to function as a human being. I think that makes a lot of sense because especially when you are taking, when you're, when you're being prescribed Oxy, when, when um, that, that's the prescription that you specifically are given, you're not taking it just to take it. Yeah. Odds are you're, you're in a lot of pain. You, you can't move, you can't walk. And so this, this drug is giving you all of those things that will make you feel great. And so I think, I think you really hit home with that. Um, and I think that it just, it makes you really just want to be, feel like that all the time. And it can just be so quick to feel hooked on that, especially when you've been relegated to a certain kind of uncomfortability with your lifestyle um, through no fault of your own, just through pain uh, of, of disease, of, of, of a surgery, of, of anything like that. And so, yeah, I, I totally see where that, that, that addictiveness can come in. Do you see... Do you see any any appropriate use for oxy? Any um, any any way that it could be used for good? No, I I think I think it does its job far too well. I mean, let's say let's say in microdoses, possibly. I myself has haven't experimented with that. I remember one time I asked the pharmacy and my doctor if they would give me a smaller dose, and they refused to, and. I think, yeah, let's say we, we lower the, this, this regular dose to something more sustainable, let's say. Um, that's a possibility. But otherwise, I don't think it's worth it. And I even include um, really severe cases in that case. I think that there are other drugs that do a fine job and morphine is fine. <laughs> if you really, you know, you just had surgery, you're, you're really struggling, um, you're severely debilitated due to injury. I think that oxy is a gateway to addiction and to ultimately wreaking a bunch of havoc that doesn't need to be wreaked. I think that um, it causes more problems in its side effects and that huge risk for, for addiction than it does solve problems. I think marijuana needs to be used in, in the pharmaceutical industry and in in um, as a as a medicinal drug, it solves a lot of problems that oxy actually causes. There's still going to be plenty of people 
that get prescribed oxy because doctors aren't going to be changing anytime soon. What do you recommend as alternatives if they get prescribed oxy, but they they realize it's dangerous and they, they don't want to go down that gateway? What do you recommend as a potential solution to, to pain that you could be feeling after a surgery or from just chronic pain, anything like that? I, I know you just touched on that, but um, care to elaborate like any more than, than that? Definitely. Um, I think for one, this this is actually a problem that needs to be mentioned more to doctors because I think that's how a change is going to happen. And so, um, you know, the, the doctors are listening to these pharmaceutical industries and now they need to listen to their patients. And so if, if you're, if you're, let's say concerned about oxy that your doctor is prescribing, start a conversation with them and, um, you know, say, I'm uncomfortable with this. I've had addiction problems in my family or, or, you know, I've heard a lot about this drug. I've heard about the side effects. I'm really uncomfortable with being prescribed this drug. And definitely a, a doctor will help you find another drug for you. And if they don't, drop that doctor and see another doctor because I think that, unfortunately, doctors the whole medical system is being paid so much by these pharmaceutical industries to pump out this oxy but two i would say super advil super tylenol and um, rso if you've never heard of rso it is a half and half cbd to thc ratio and it's a it's an oil and it was created by Rick Simpson who created it for cancer patients and for people with chronic pain and um, there's a sativa there's a sativa make of that and there's an indica make so you can have either you know you can have it during the day or, or at night like a, like a day cool and night cool kind of thing right <laughs> <laughs> true true yeah, and um, that's that's the only thing that really helped me with my severe, you know, surgery pain or or debilitating pain. And um, I got told from a lot of people, you know, take take CBD oil, but that actually large large uh, portions of that can make you really dizzy. It can make you feel drunk. It can it can make you really nauseous. And so, let's say you're you're having a large pain issue and the solution to that is going to to straight RSO or or another sort of oil. Okay, so uh, the second question I had um, was you mentioned marijuana and um, all these facets of it as a potential alternative to Oxy, a much, much safer alternative, uh, non-addictive. And I wanted to ask, how do you think the stigma with, with marijuana differs with the stigma around Oxy? Because I think, I think marijuana when it was gaining popularity in the U.S. was around a really, really big time with drugs. And when, when the war on drugs was being created with this huge racially fueled issue and the psychedelics got brought into that uh, and, a, and a lot of drugs just kind of like got, uh, got compiled into that box and there was a huge stigma created around that. Whereas I don't think there's quite as much stigma with, with Oxy because it's, it's, it's a pharmaceutical drug. Nobody's not a lot of people hear about people just abusing oxy just just to abuse it it's it's much more they got prescribed it from a doctor and now they're addicted and and then that's how you you get to heroin when you can no longer afford oxy 
So I wanted to get your take on on how you think those those two stigmas differ with each other. That's a really interesting point. For marijuana, I think there's a lot of shame to it for people that are chronically ill. And I actually had my marijuana card, my medical marijuana card, when I was, I think, 16 or 17, because I you know, had tried all these other drugs. Even morphine was not was not enough and it wasn't a it wasn't a, a permanent solution or you know something that was sustainable that I could use at home mm-hmm. or go to school on you know it was just completely out of the question but I think that for marijuana it kind of feels like you're doing something wrong it feels like because you know you're seeking this out yourself a doctor isn't prescribing this you know, you're paying for it, you're going in this weed store, and, and you feel like you're just recreationally going into the store. But I think I think a lot of that needs to change. And um, it also is that way with the way that doctors um, will talk about marijuana. And so during this time, I was a teenager and, and having having a lot of health issues, I would go into the doctor for things like nausea and... Um, and like sleep problems and just these things that the oxy was probably probably causing ultimately and they would say oh you know you're still taking that marijuana and um that's that's your problem right there and i you know we we just kind of laugh and and just say you know that that's what the drugs did to me you know the the drugs that i'm taking it's not it's not this you know ungodly marijuana that's doing this to my body and um I think that yeah for oxy um it's something that's prescribed it's something that a lot of people think is safe a lot of doctors think is safe and it's not really questioned is this is this a good thing is this something that will help me in the long run or will this hinder me and harm me and that's all the doctors talk about with marijuana. It's, well, look at what it does in this scenario, in this study, and, you know, these all these effects are kind of questionable right now because there hasn't even been proper testing on marijuana. But these real studies of Oxy saying, you know, this is a big problem, are just thrown out the window and said, you know, well, it, it, it works, it'll do for now. I think that those those two things have to just swap. <laughs> the biggest problem isn't even that the doctors want to point out the problems of, of marijuana. That's I don't see that as the biggest problem. I think the biggest problem is the fact that there's so much hypocrisy that happens, right? It's like, well, let's 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 hammer in on all the problems here and ignore all the problems there, like you were saying, especially when there's so many more problems with something like Oxy that's so so highly addictive. So if you could boil down top three to five issues as as what is wrong with the current medical system what would be your your top three to five okay number one is this sort of um in a box concept i talked about earlier it's you know let's let's plan on just seeing um this system in the body or this organ and hope that we hope that we solve, you know, whatever problem this is. I think that um, it would save us so much more time and lives and effort in the long run if 
every doctor saw your body as a whole instead of, oh, let me refer you to rheumatology and to hematology and to, you know, this person and this person when, you know, you could just have one doctor. And, and there is sort of this PCP concept in the United States where, um, yes, there is this there is this doctor who you can go to who will see see your whole body, but um, that's for very small issues like, you know, like um, very small, like colds and, and small illnesses that they can prescribe and fix. And so, um, yeah, there are certain cases where specialties are needed and like severe cases or, or cases that involve a disease. But ultimately, I think I think that's extremely toxic way to to view the human body and and completely not what it was intended on in the beginning of of medicine you know was to just oh let's single out you know this this specific part of your body absolutely so just lack of understanding of the interconnectivity of of the body definitely i would say the second thing is that solutions aren't really found nowadays in medicine um, until almost like accidental. So I think that no one, no doctor nowadays, you know, wants to or has the job of solving or finding your your problems. And um, it's never let's get to the root of this problem. It's let's give you this drug that will temporarily reduce these symptoms or problem and then hope for the best and come to me in two or three months if you have any more problems you know how many times has the doctor said that to you completely yeah so it's and what naturopathy is is literally finding the root of every problem and and let's let's dig deeper and let's let's see what's actually going on here and there's no way you can just you know what doctors do nowadays is um, they pull up the CDC website and they they look on their little um, website of of symptoms and it's it's based on your symptoms and and then it just goes directly to a solution that's a that's a drug. I don't have words for how how wrong that is. I think that yeah, ultimately we should be looking for the root because you could have these ten different problems. They're all really severe. And they all have the same root cause. Do you think there should be a greater mix of Western medicine with naturopathy and and seeing kind of a mix between the two rather than having these be just two completely separate facets in medicine? So I, what I would say to that question is, um, well, I know a lot of doctors, my doctors who actually treated me um, with my IV treatment for, for Lyme disease, they were both naturopathic and MDs. So there is, there is a sort of double dipping that like in education that a doctor has to do in order to get qualified in both of those, um, both of those things. But naturopathy doesn't mean let's never prescribe a drug, you know, it's let's hope that we don't have to prescribe drugs, you know, Prescribing drugs is is the last resort, but let's first try to do this the natural way. And 
you sort of slowly go down this process and whether or not you need it, you know, you're, you're prescribed something. But naturopathy is, by definition, a combination of Western medicine and these sort of natural processes. So I would say that's kind of already what's what's happening in some rare cases where a doctor is, you know, let's say a Chinese herbalist or some sort of herbalist or herbal doctor that that completely doesn't believe in Western medicine. For the most part, naturopathy in itself is is a mix between the two. So, okay. Uh, so what do you think can be done with, with these these huge problems we're seeing in the medical industry, the opioid opioid epidemic, among among other things, with a lack of lack of seeing the interconnectivity of the body. What, what do you think can be done to, to help at least mitigate these problems, if not eradicate them altogether? I think that truly the biggest thing that needs to happen is for all of these um, false people and, and false organizations to be taken out of this equation of the medical industry. Um, like the pharmaceutical company, I think that, you know, we, we might need to realize, hey, I don't think these people have our best interests at hand. But I think it really just, it takes opening your eyes. And I do, you know, I, I don't want to say that every doctor is horrible and and has the worst interests at, at stake, but um, there are some really good doctors out there who just refuse to um, sort of fall into this facade of a solution. And so I think that there is a way to open like the eyes of, of doctors and a lot of people in the medical industry and um, just say, hey, you know, do you truly know what's going on here? And are, are you educated in everything that you're prescribing? I think that those are all really, really great ways that we could at least help lessen the uh, the issues and the huge problems that we're seeing in the pharmaceutical industry and in, in the uh, with doctors in general. And one thing I did want to ask you too was, what do you think about big corporations and their their kind of stakes in in the world of of medicine and doctors and pharmaceutical companies? I think that's a whole nother um, issue that that kind of ties into the problem of when all of these things are, you know, healthcare. It's like what what truly is what is healthcare right now? I think that healthcare should be helping people, and um, especially when they're they're at their weakest. You know, I think that it should be giving giving someone this second chance. To life that's that's not as miserable and ultimately what we've done with the pharmaceutical industry and these huge companies who who run the healthcare system is we're taking away from what matters most and we're again putting up this sort of facade of of you know we're doing the right thing and this is this is healthcare and um you know when i refer to like oh healthcare nowadays that's what i'm referring to so I think that a lot needs to change and we we truly need to be just shaken until all that is left is what we need. It's a great way to go about things. If you could say one thing to everybody listening right now to take away from 
from this this episode, what would what would you say that that one thing would be? I would say don't listen to doctors. <laughs> if a doctor, if you have a severe problem, maybe you know it doesn't seem severe to you, but it's it's heavily affecting your life, and you're just getting this dismissal or this kind of roundabout reasoning that doesn't truly have an answer. Um, I would say question that. Question doctors. Question, question their answers. You know, even even after you just asked a question, you know, just constantly say what's on your mind and say what you're doubting. I think that we need to stop looking at doctors as God, and we need to realize that they're they're told to do one thing, and and it's the bare minimum, and, and unfortunately, that's what most of them do. And there are, the second thing I I would say is there are good doctors out there. There are really good doctors who their goal is to do do their best and um, sort of offset all of these doctors who are doing the bare minimum. Well, I really appreciate you coming out and sharing your story and your uh, your thoughts on the um, the medical industry. I think there's a lot to be done there. And I think that having these conversations is a really really great place to start. Uh, but that's it for this week's episode of Undismissed. If you like today's episode, be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. I'm Blake McLean, and I'll see you next week on Undismissed. Undismissed.